the highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And it says, um, but the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. And certainly David knew these enemies in his own life. But the man who touches them, verse 7, must be armed with iron. Notice, iron. He must be armed with iron and a shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Now, as David speaks of this, certainly he's prophesying of the greater than David it speaks of the judgment yet to come in this world. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. God's covenant was based on his faithfulness, but David knew that obedience still mattered. God would still oppose the sons of rebellion, and they would end up in ruin. David knew he could trust the Lord to take care of his enemies. This was the whole theme of David's life. The Lord is in control. Rest in him. This remarkable relationship with God is the reason why David was Israel's greatest king and the most prominent ancestor of Jesus Christ. The New Testament begins with these words in the book of Matthew, verse 1 in chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now here's Pastor Rob. Start with verse 10. Remember, Dave, or the Lord spoke to David. Early in his reign, after he brought the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle. He brought it back to Jerusalem. What, what did God say to him as he began his reign? It says in verse 10 of 2 Samuel 7, verse 10, Moreover, God says, I will appoint a place for my people. Now remember, this is an everlasting covenant. And these are unconditional promises, many of them, in this promise that God made. Some are conditional, some are unconditional Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Because this is God's response to David having it in his heart that he wanted to build God a house. Because David's living in this beautiful cedar palace and he's like you know what why is god setting out in a tent i think it started to eat at him a little bit and he's like you know what why am i in this beautiful place and god is out under this thing full of badger skins dyed red <laughs> why is that and god's like david i don't have a problem with you living in a nice house I, I, I dwell in eternity. I've got, I don't need a house. And when did I ever tell you? Let me, well, let's just read it, because that's what he tells them. So God says, I have, pl I have planted a house for the, my people 
to dwell in, and that they would, uh, a place of their own, to move no more. And so shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more, as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. The Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And then when your days are fulfilled, and this is a promise, when your days are fulfilled, David, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Now, obviously, God is speaking of certainly Solomon, but he's speaking way past Solomon. He's speaking of the seed. Compare that to Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman, who is who? Jesus Christ. He says, I will set up your seed after you, God says, who will come from your body. And that's true because Jesus came from the line of Judah. He came through David's loins and through his line. That's true. He did. And I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. Notice, not David to build a house, even though David wanted to build a house. He says, David, you're not going to do it. You're, you're a man of blood. You've got blood on your hands. But your son, your son Solomon, he is going to build me a house. And notice what it says in verse 14. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And here is the conditional promise. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. That's why it's called an everlasting covenant. I will establish forever your kingdom before you, and your throne shall be established forever. He says it twice. Forever. That may, when God repeats himself like that, basically what he's saying is amen and amen and amen. And that is an unconditional promise. This is what I'm going to do through you, David. And that's what blew David completely away. And this was before he had sinned and before all of his mistakes. God had spoken to him this wonderful promise. And notice what David says there in verse 5 back in our text. He says, and, and you have made me this everlasting covenant, and it's ordered, meaning it's ordained in all things, and it's secure. It is secure, because when God says that he's going to do something, he does it. He doesn't, he's not dependent on somebody else helping him out. He doesn't need any help. In fact, I'm the biggest liability to him, as I, even as I share his word. It'd be much better if I just read it. Maybe we should do that. But he's also called us to expound on it so that we can apply these things to our life and learn. But notice, all of these things are ordered and they're secure. For this is all my salvation, all my desire. Will he not make it increase? And notice that David knew it was ordained by God and nothing could keep it from happening. Nothing could keep it from happening. And notice that David is resting in the promises of God as you can as well. What are some of the promises that God has given us? As a church, I mean, think of the one that we were looking at recently. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may also be. Is that not indeed a promise? Was it conditional? There's no conditions. He has gone to prepare. He's, he ascended, right? And now he is preparing a place for us that where he is, we might also be. He's going to come for us in the rapture of the church and change these bodies in the twinkling of an eye. Rest in that promise. Let it get into you and let it... Change you. 
Because if I believe even that simple promise, that profound promise, it's going to have ramifications in my life. It ought to. It ought to change the way I think about things. It ought to change the way I think about my own future and the future of the world and even the people I'm going to leave behind should he come tonight and take us up. It changes everything, really, if we really think of it, if we let it get down into us. And certainly that's what the promise is supposed to do. Don't just nibble on the promise like a fish with a worm. You know, sometimes I, I, when I've been fishing in Florida and we used to um, fish with whole shrimp, we'd put the whole shrimp on, right? We'd throw it out there and the, the fish were smart. They would come and they'd grab the tail or they'd grab the head and they wouldn't get the part with the hook where the hook is. And I'd bring up my shrimp and half of it's gone. And I'm like, you lousy fish. But God wants us to swallow the hook. And those, that's when we're caught. That's when you lay out the big ones and they come in. They swallow the hook. God wants you to swallow those promises. Let them get down deep into you and change your life forever. They will. I love it. But notice in our text, it goes back and it says, um, But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. And certainly David knew these enemies in his own life. But the man who touches them, verse 7, must be armed with iron. Notice, iron. He must be armed with iron and a shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Now, as David speaks of this, certainly he's prophesying of the greater than David. It speaks of the judgment yet to come in this world. Because we know that after the when the church is removed, there is going to be a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation upon the earth for those who have rejected Christ. And when Christ comes back in his second coming physically to the earth with us, by the way, after that seven-year period, while the world is, is going through this tribulation, we come back with him at the end. And it says in Revelation 19, and, that, and this is what it's speaking of, it says in Revelation 19, verse 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him. On, a white horse, on white horses, that's you and I, the church, coming back with him. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Doesn't that sound like the two verses that we just read? And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Yes, God pouring out his wrath. As you look at verses 6 and 7 in our text, David is hinting at this final judgment. And what does Psalm 2 tell us? He who sits in the heavens, God will ultimately... He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. I don't know about you, but that's a part of God that I'm glad I will never see because I've experienced the grace and the love of God. I don't want to experience that part of God. But God, as much as, as loving as He is and as gracious and compassionate as He is, thank God for that. Because if, you're in, if you are with Him, 
you are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. They're saved. But those who are not saved will face, if they do not repent on their last breath and they die, they will face a wrath that is unheard of. And when Jesus comes back, even even to this earth, it tells us in Zechariah 14, verse 12, and it says, And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. This is speaking of some pretty heated, uh, uh, an extreme heat that he's going to judge his enemies with. And yet it gets even worse, because we know that at the white throne judgment, He's finally going to resurrect those who have died with a new body and they will be cast into outer darkness into the lake of fire for eternity. And that's for the wicked dead. But for you and I, that will not be the case for us. Can anybody say hallelujah? It's worth saying hallelujah for. And that's the kind of thing that compels us to share with others, right? But these are the things, you know, the beast and the false prophet, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And finally, Satan, after the thousand years have expired, the devil himself will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And the Bible tells us that all of mankind who have rejected Christ, they will ultimately spend eternity in the lake of fire with those three individuals, often called the demonic trinity, (laughs) Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So finally in verse 8, we get into another section here. And I would encourage you to check out First Chronicles chapter 11. You'll notice a lot of similarities. There are also some differences here. Now remember when we had talked about First and Second Samuel that because of some of the text had been badly corrupted and it's especially noticeable when it comes to numbers and even a few names. But again, don't let that discourage you because the doctrine that is here in First and Second Samuel, the things that we can learn from it, is unchanged. And again, I don't really care about numbers so much or maybe a person's name that got garbled because of the, the text was so um, hard to read. I'm not worried about those things. But this is one of those books that went through probably the most corruption, the most damage, if you will. And we'll see it as in this next section. Notice what it says. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bathsheba. Let, let me see if I can pronounce that again. Josheb Bathshebeth. His name means one who sits in the seat. The, he was a Tachmanite, a chief among the captains or among the three. He was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. And you may notice, if you look at First Chronicles chapter 11, which is the parallel to this account, that something a little bit different is there in verse 11. It says that, that this is a number of the mighty men who, who David had, and he mentions the man's name, a little bit different. It's just a different uh, spelling of his name. But he had a spear. He lifted up his spear against 300, killed by him at one time. And so we have this one passage telling us um, 
you know, here it tells us that there's uh, 800 men, and then in Chronicles it tells us that there were 300 men. And evidently the Hebrew words for 300 and 800 begin with the same letter. And so a, a copyist error is very evident here. And, um, and so we can just uh, leave it at that. You know, we can trust that it's 300. The Septuagint also tells us that it's 300. Verse 9, it says, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defiled, uh, or defied, excuse me, the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. And he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. Have you ever had something where you've held onto it so tightly and for so long that when you finally release the grip, your hands kind of like they were all white? And, and you had a hard time uh, bringing them off, you know, you might experience that if you're on a, a roller coaster. <laughs> you grab it and your hands are like stuck and your muscles are like, you kind of have to peel them off the, the bar in front of you. But this is one of those men. And I, I think it's wonderful that David had these men around him. Such an interesting relationship that David had with these men, these mighty men. You know, these ragtag group of guys who followed him from the days of his running from Saul. And to find that they, they, they continue on with David and his kingdom, and, and some of them become great warriors. And you think about what a great thing it is for a king to have such men around him, such faithful men, such men of valor, but men of courage. Because David was a man of courage. He showed these men what courage was really like. He showed them through his actions what faith in God is like. He also showed them what faith in God is not. When David made some of his most horrible mistakes, when he went over to the side of the Philistines for a time, they saw all of this. They learned from David. But at the end of it all, they could say, David, we love you and we're with you. And we're going to stay with you because they recognize that he wasn't a perfect man either. And neither were they. But they were valor, men of valor. Men of valor. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines had gathered together in a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And so the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field. He defended it and killed the Philistines, and so the Lord brought about a great victory. So each one of these men's exploits, are, some of them are listed here, and it's really interesting just to see their, their work of faith and their, just their courage. And it says in verse 13, Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was in the stronghold, probably a cave. There's plenty of caves along um, in Judah and in the, in, the, in the middle of the country. If you go to Israel with us in another year or so, <laughs> when we go over there, we'll drive by, we'll go in some of these places. You'll be able to see them for yourself. It's pretty amazing. So David was in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. David knew of a place. 
place where the water was sweet that he had frequented many times. And as he's there in the cave of Adullam being holed up by the enemy, the Philistines, David just has this longing in his heart. Oh, if I could just have a glass of water from that place. And he certainly didn't have any intention of, of actually following through with it because the Philistines were there and the Philistines were in Bethlehem where that water was. But notice... So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. And nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. And these things were done by these three mighty men. And think of the love that they must have had for their captain. I mean, really, this is the kind of thing that armies, the, 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 the armed forces in our country, this is, these are the kind of men that they need. It went way beyond commands, right? When, you're, when your platoon sergeant or whatever tells you you've got to do this, you do it, you know. But to do something of your own volition because you knew it was the, the fleeting thought or the heart of your captain, and you're willing to risk life and limb to accomplish it, that's, that's the kind of stuff that every king would love to have. Every king dreams to have men like this that respected him, loved him. And they not only, just, they not only feared David, but they, they really loved him because most people fear a king because they're, a lot, they're, they're powerful and they can do things to you, like throw you in jail. But they loved David. It went way beyond just the natural kind of thing. And this event that we just read in verses 13 through 17 is only recorded here and also in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. And that's all we hear of it. But this is the kind of thing, these are the kind of loyal men that David had in a truly unique relationship. And it's very similar, actually, the loyalty and the, and the uh, devotion that these men had to David was very similar to the the loyalty and devotion that David and Jonathan, remember, had. Remember what it told us in 2 Samuel chapter 1. As David wrote a song after he found out that Saul and Jonathan and his other sons had passed away, David wrote a lament or a song about Jonathan. And one of the verses, it goes like this in, in 2 Samuel one twenty six. He In the song he says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Yes. And David and Jonathan weren't gay. No, this was a love, a brotherly love, a respectful love that is beautiful. It is really beautiful, whether it happens between two men or two women or whatever, to have a, just a deep respect and a love and a devotion to that person. It could be a, a really close friend, and David and Jonathan were like that. And that's the kind of relationship these men, many of them, had with David. Jesus said in John 15, verse 12, he says, This is a, my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And these men were willing to lay down their life for, the, for, for David. And, and Jesus already laid down his life for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ proved his love for us. 
He went to the cross while we were yet sinners. That concludes our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.